Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow, with your host, Linda Nazareth. Well, hello, and thank you so much for joining us today. You know, we put so much into our careers, since we talk about here all the time, but when we're doing these things to do our jobs well and impress management with our performance, is that really enough? Because it seems that there's another set of career skills that go beyond the scope of our jobs. And a lot of people who concentrate on doing their jobs well are not even cognizant of what those are. It's really a good time to talk about that right now because we're in this situation where the labor market is in flux. People are thinking about leaving their jobs and they want to leave them for better jobs. But doing that is not always easy. When you want to look for a new position, you have to employ a set of skills, interviewing skills and networking skills that maybe you haven't worked on for a while. So again, you know, it's uh, worth sitting down and thinking about what you need to do, what skills you need to develop if you want to get the most out of your career. Well, my guest today has put a lot of thought into those skills and what you really need to have as an arsenal if you want to navigate your career well. His name is Mark Hirschberg, and as well as being a startup executive, for the last 20 years, he's taught a class at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology on Career Success Accelerator. He's now written a book called The Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success That No One Taught You, and he's here to talk about that with us, how to develop those skills and how to apply them to your career. I had a really great conversation with Mark. There are really practical takeaways from the things he said. So really worth listening to. Please stay with us. What are the skills for careers that nobody teaches you? My guest today is Mark Hirschberg. He's the author of The Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success That No One Taught You. And he's here to talk about those skills, how you can get them and how you can use them to further your career. Hi, Mark. Hi, thanks for having me on the show today. Oh, it's a pleasure. You know, I have a lot of questions about the book and about careers and skills, but I just like to start by asking people about their own backgrounds, how they ended up doing what they're doing. I started my career as a software developer in the dot-com era and moved up and became a CTO, which is what I've been doing for most of my career. But I realized that to become a CTO, I had to develop these skills like leadership, negotiating, team building, and no one ever taught me. So I had to teach myself then began to teach the rest of my team because I knew it would help them and wound up teaching a class on this at MIT for the past 20 years. So that led to the book. And now I have these two parallel careers, my CTO career, and then the career helping others with their professional development. And so you decided to write this book, The Career Toolkit. Was there one thing that made you want to sit down and put it together? I didn't even plan to write the book. I thought I was writing up some notes for the class. It's a very experiential class where students don't take a lot of notes. I thought I'll just write up a few notes, 20 pages worth, but 20 became 40, became 80. And next thing I knew, I had a book and realized, okay, this is a a whole much bigger project than I expected. Okay, so let's talk about the meat of this. What are the skills that you think people need to be able to manage their careers? Because you clearly think we need to develop these. It's not just me who thinks this. It comes from research we've done at MIT where we've talked to different companies and they said, these are the skills we want, 
not just in college students, but in everyone, but we can't find them. And similar research has been done at other universities. So consistently, here are the 10 skills that we hear companies talk about. Career planning, how to negotiate, how to plan your career, workplace skills, managing your manager, understanding corporate culture and politics, interviewing, not just how to do as a candidate, but many of us are involved in hiring our peers. How do you interview others? Leadership, the people side of managing, and that's true for individual contributors as well as managers. The process side of management, then communication, negotiating, networking, and ethics. And those are the skills companies repeatedly say they want, but can't find. Well, it's interesting because you're talking about tech people. I'm wondering when they were supposed to learn this. They're learning the, uh, the hard skills. And supposedly that's what companies are looking for. And then there's this whole parallel list they just don't have. And it's not just tech people. Again, these are universal. So yes, MIT, we have tech people and companies say we want to see this in them. But other universities producing students outside of STEM, they get feedback from companies saying, we want this in everybody. Because if everyone is better at teamwork, at communicating, at leading, companies are so much more effective. Okay, so how do you learn these things? Because the first thing that comes to mind is when you develop them in other parts of your life, from sports or from leadership activities, can you do other things besides, you know, be a broader person? You can, and the best way to learn them, I actually like to use a sports analogy. We learn these differently than how we learn, say, STEM skills, because I can teach you the quadratic equation and say, when you see this formula, here's how to solve it. Say, okay, got it. And anytime you see a formula, you know what to do. There is no formula for leadership. There's no three simple things to communicate more effectively. It's subtle and complex, and we don't even see it. You don't know, oh, wait, this is a leadership moment. I have to lead right now. Okay, now I'm done leading. It's kind of nebulous. It's all around us. So the way we need to teach these skills is more akin not to how we teach math or other things in school, but how we teach sports. I can't teach you, here's how to play basketball. Okay, good luck. I can teach you the rules. I can teach you some strategy, but then you have to drill and practice and do scrimmage games, maybe even watch the tape of yourself, of other people. So the way we want to do that with these skills is we give them some content, and that could be from a book, a lecture, an article, a great podcast. And then what you want to do is put people in small groups, in these peer learning groups, where they discuss it with each other. And they talk about, what did we learn about leadership in that article? Well, here's what I took away. What did you take away? Hey, here's how I had an experience years ago and what I did and what worked and what didn't. And you'll share your ideas. This, by the way, is how we teach you at MIT and even how top business schools like to teach these skills. So it's a proven method for developing the skills. And the best part is you can do this within your organization at no cost because you can use free content online or you can buy a book or something, but it's putting people together in these groups to have these discussions. And that's what's going to help them develop. I was going to say, MBA programs tend to have these kind of courses, but probably most undergraduate courses and most graduate courses do not. Do you think it should be incorporated into the educational system? A hundred percent at the undergraduate level, even some of this at the high school level. Why? Because companies are saying they want this. What is the purpose of a school? Well, you think of it as producing products being their graduates. And your customer, the companies hiring the graduates, are saying, this is the product we want. Well, if we're going to be responsive, we need to produce the product our customers are asking for. And why is this not part of the curriculum now? There are historical reasons for it. 
at the university system, that goes back about 900 years in terms of its origins. If you think about how it works, it's run by professors. Now, I love professors. I work with them. But professors are deep domain experts. When you go into a marketing undergraduate program, the decision about what you need to learn is managed by a bunch of PhDs in marketing. And they've decided if you take some of these classes and those classes and enough of these classes, we'll give you a marketing degree. But all they're doing is acknowledging you have developed a certain level of knowledge in marketing. They're not saying you are a good marketer or a good employee. They're just saying you've acquired this knowledge. And that's all they've ever said. We just use that as a proxy, which was good enough in the world 100 years ago, but it's not good enough today. Okay, so... Let's take some of these, you know, one at a time. Leadership. You write about this, I know, in your book. And I, one of the things that struck me was that some people don't want to be leaders. They don't want to have to manage people. But you think you still have to learn leadership skills. Everyone needs to be a leader because leadership is not a title. You are correct. Many people don't want to be in a position of authority. They don't want to manage other people. And that's fine. And companies need individual contributors. But a leader is someone who creates change. And what companies want is someone to say, hey, I might be an individual contributor, but I have an idea. I have a vision for what we can do in the future to make our team, our company, our environment better. And that's being a leader. And that's what companies want. So the leadership and management skills apply even to individual contributors because they're not about the title. They're about the nature of how you interact with others. Are there you know, specific exercises or ways you can make those skills better if you really don't have them in the first place? You can develop them? Absolutely. Leadership can be learned. And one of the best ways to look at is not to take this whole big leadership concept, which can feel overwhelming, but really break it down. Because again, to use a sports analogy, if you say, well, I want to be a better basketball player, what does that mean? Well, it means you're probably better at shooting, at passing, at teamwork, at individual things that you can work on. So when you think about leadership, a good technique, begin by looking at leaders you admire, whether they are real, they could be fictional, doesn't matter. Say, these are the people I admire. And then ask yourself, what is it that you admire about them as a leader? What do they do well? And break it down to they communicate well, they care about other people who they're leading, whatever those attributes are. And then you can focus on those individual attributes, which is a little easier than that big holistic leadership. Interesting. Networking, that was another one. And we've been told to network, well, since I was in school, sure, long before that. Uh, and it's not really clear what that means. I think people think it means going to an event and handing out business cards or LinkedIn you know, handles or whatever it is these days. Is that what you're supposed to do? And you know, how does that help a company if somebody's good at networking? Isn't it funny that we've heard this since we were kids? Everyone's told us it's so important, but no one ever taught it to us, right? That's a huge miss. And you hit the nail on the head that so many people think, oh, it's just about handing out business cards or adding people on LinkedIn. Well, adding someone on LinkedIn and saying this person is in your network, that's like swiping right on Tinder and saying this person is now your significant other, right? That's insane. We never do that on Tinder, but we do it all the time on LinkedIn. But now on Tinder, when you do swipe right, what happens? You say, okay, there's some interest, but now we have to build that relationship, which for Tinder means going on dates. On LinkedIn or when you exchange business cards, you've now expressed that interest, but you have to build the relationship. It might not be formal dates, but you have to spend time getting to know the person, developing the trust and relationship. 
And that's how we need to think about our network. We need to think about relationship building and not just collecting addresses. Okay, so how do you do that? You do it using techniques that we have always known. It involves meeting new people, that is step one, but then engaging and interacting with people. That could be meeting people for coffee. And a lot of companies are now starting to do a in-person coffee or a virtual coffee to help with internal networking within the company. And by the way, COVID has actually been really helpful for this because think about it, we've all saved so much time commuting. Take some of the time you would have been driving in your car or on the subway and do a virtual coffee with someone once a week. And the best part is coffee, when we used to have that networking coffee, hey, let's get together, I was limited to people in my city. Because it would have been weird in 2017 to say like, hey, let's jump on a Zoom call and have coffee. But now it's totally normal. So we can continue to build those relationships. Ultimately, it means reaching out and staying in touch and being helpful to the other person. One of the key things in networking is thinking about giving before you get. I always think, how can I help you? What can I do to support you? And when you have that mentality, that's going to foster the relationships. Interesting. Now, out of your list, what are the other ones you think are most important? They're all important in different ways. I would say working effectively, that encompasses a lot of different topics. It's a subtle concept that most people don't even know about. What we've been trained to do in school is to get the right answer. That's literally what we did on the test. How do you get the right answer? And we go into work and then we're told, create this financial model, write this code, create a social media campaign. There's presumably a right answer that delivers clicks or financial analysis or software. Okay, that's good. Getting the wrong answer isn't going to help you. But then there's this other set of questions. How do you make your boss successful? How do you make sure you're building the right relationships in the organization that you're meeting to the cultural norms? How do you make sure you're not walking into political traps? Because politics is out there whether you want to play the game or not, other people are playing it. And if you're not aware of these questions or issues, there's no way you're going to get the right answers. And that's going to limit your effectiveness. Okay. Let's talk about the situation when right now. Still pandemic, but people are getting to another stage of it. We're in the midst of the great resignation, possibly. Possibly the stats are misleading, but lots of people are looking for the next job, the next thing, a new start. What should they be thinking about? What are the skills they need to have and how should they apply them to get to the next, not just to get to the next thing, but to get to the right thing? Great question. I just put out a blog post on this because as we think about the great resignation, too many people are saying, well, I'm not happy at this job. I don't like being an accountant over here. So I'm just going to find another job where, oh, I can also be an accountant and, oh, it's more money and it's not here. Really, we need to think about what is it that you want? And chapter one, career planning, I talk a lot about how to think about what you want in your career, not just a job. I want to be an accountant, but what do you want out of life and how does your career fit into that? And then you start to say, I want flexibility or I want a company that supports me or I want to just take more classes to grow and I want a company that will support me by paying for it or giving me the time off. Understand what you want. And then when you look for a new job, don't just say, okay, accounting, I can do that. And oh, more money, that's good. What are these other attributes that you want? Because when you know what you want and seek it out, you're going to be happier than just, well, I don't want to be here anymore. So we need to be proactive in our planning and then recognize 
that the skills that I mentioned, these skills underpin our capabilities, whether you're an accountant or a salesperson or a software developer, being a better communicator or leader or negotiator, even if you're an individual contributor, will help you be more successful in this and future roles. So when you get into the interview, what are the things you should be asking? Because you're always asked, and do you have any questions for us? And I think people sometimes don't know what to say. Right. There's a whole list I put in the blog post. These are questions like, tell me about your corporate culture. And then ask for examples, right? Because if you say, oh, well, I'm, I'm as a candidate, I'm really smart and capable. What's the employer going to do? They're going to say, well, give me an example. Show, don't tell. So when companies, you can do the same thing. When they say, oh, we're a great place. We're really supportive of our employees. Wonderful. I love hearing that. Can you give me an example of how you've been supportive? So ask about the culture. Ask about the type of support that companies offer for their employees. Ask about how companies listen to employee feedback. Ask about your long-term career prospects. And this is a great type of question people are often afraid to ask. You know, I'm looking at this job. I don't want to ask about future jobs, but saying, hey, I'm really interested in this job, but tell me longer term, three, five, seven years out, where will this lead within your company? And that's showing you're interested in a longer relationship and you're thinking ahead. So you can ask all these companies about the company, the culture, your manager, her management style. All of these are fair game. Cultural fit. I mean, you mentioned that. I think people think that's a luxury, right? They're looking for a job and they're not necessarily looking for the right company to be in. How important is it? Does it really matter whether you have the right culture? wildly important, but most people don't understand what cultural fit means. Most companies don't understand it. They think culture are the seven values we put on the website about customer focus and getting along or whatever they happen to put up there. The true culture is the culture of the group you're in. Do they have a lot of meetings? Do they send a lot of emails? Does your boss like you to come with different options, and then you discuss as a group, does your boss want you to just say, here's a problem, here's a solution, done, and she'll just tell you whether she has any concerns about it. I know someone who said the culture of his group was whoever yelled the loudest, that's <laughs> how the decision was made. Now, that's not written on the website, but that was the reality they were in. And that's really the culture, how you're interacting with your coworkers on a daily basis has a lot to do with communication interactions. That's the true culture you're in. If you're not a person who yells, you won't do well in that group my friend was in. So understand that culture and figure out if it's a fit for you. Let's look at it from the other side, Mark, because I know you talk to companies too. If you're a company and you want the right workers in, what are the things you should be doing and the things you should be asking? You should ask what's important to your workers. Right? This is what we do with our customers. We do employees, we do customer surveys, right? What's important and what features? We don't do that in the hiring process. We don't say, by the way, as you think about where you're going, what are you thinking about? Yes, we know salary is important, but what else? Is it mission? Is it culture? And when you say things like culture, what does that mean to you? Do you care about work from home? Do you care about a place where people don't yell? So we want to effectively ask our customers, the people who are buying our open jobs, what they're interested in. We want to get feedback, especially the ones who don't take your job. So make sure you survey the ones who decline to figure out why are they declining. Offer what people are asking for. And you can see, even if you can't do it, you say, well, we're small, we don't have that many people. Look at surveys being done by large HR organizations 
and what they're saying is of interest in the culture today. Talk to your existing employees about what they want, because it's easier, of course, to retain an employee than to have to go find a new one. So we need to be better at listening. And most importantly, when you are hiring, don't just hire for the set of mechanical skills. Oh, we need someone who knows Python. We need someone who's a forensic accountant. Certainly do that, but then recognize the other attributes that you care about. Someone who can yell back at coworkers or someone who doesn't mind a lot of meetings or someone who's very effective at communicating by email because that's how we communicate 90% of the time. Understand these more subtle things and make sure you're explicitly looking for that as you are hiring. Well, it's interesting because if you get a toxic employee, which happens fairly often, the cost is huge, right? In terms of morale, in terms of getting rid of them and everything else. Is it that people are not screening properly or are they too focused just on the hard skills? It's the latter, which I suppose is some of the former as well. We focus on those hard skills. We focus on, oh, you're a marketer. Tell us about the social media campaigns you've run. Tell us about your content marketing. Tell us about an event you ran and what was the hardest thing you've done. And it's great to focus on those because we want to look for competence, but recognize as well, equally important to your point is looking for these other pieces is how do you get along with your coworkers? How do we make sure you are not toxic? Will you even just mesh with other people? You might not be toxic, but if you have a different fit, if you're in a group of extroverts and everyone at meetings just likes talking, they talk over each other, not in a rude way, but everyone's just throwing ideas out and you bring an introvert to that group, that introvert's just going to shut down in the meeting and not offer ideas. And it's not that he's not good. It's not that he doesn't have anything to contribute, but he won't flourish in that particular environment. So we have to look for those fits as well. It's just as important. You know, I've been giving some thought to the hybrid work environment. You don't need the same skills. It's not as much about getting along with the people you see on an individual basis every day, right? It's about working as a team in a different way. Um, it probably puts more focus on the work and less on the, well, I'm going to say the schmoozing skills, but you know, the ability to be at work and speak up at, in a live meeting and everything else. How, how do you think it's changed things? I think it makes communication so much more important because now the nature of our interactions is going to be different. There's no more, at least not as much, oh, I'm just dropping by your desk or overhearing something in the hallway. We have to be more conscientious in what we communicate and how we communicate it. And that's both the actual things we're communicating, here's the information, but also things like if you're a leader and you need to talk to your team and address the team and say, look, we are going to have layoffs. I know this is going to be tough. Then we've got a tough quarter, but if we can pull this off, here's the future. And you paint that rosy picture, right? You're taking them down and up. That's a very emotional conversation that you're doing to a group. And if you do it standing in front of 50 people, you can feel how are they reacting and they can really feel your emotion and you can read the room. When you're doing that and everyone is on Zoom or some of the people are in the room, but some are on Zoom and they're only half paying attention to the meeting because they're distracted, you're not getting that type of information flow, not the content and words, but that emotional connection. And so your message might not be as well received. They hear the bad news. They didn't connect to the, but there's a bright future. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. You might not realize that they haven't connected to that. And so it's a lot trickier to communicate certain things. And we have to be more conscientious in our communication 
as we move to this hybrid model. Mark, tell everyone how they can get your book. You can go to my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com. And there, of course, you can buy it on Amazon, Physical Electronic, and other places. You can also download the free app for Android and iPhone, which has a lot of the great tips from the book. They'll just pop up on your phone once a day. There's also a resources page with a whole bunch of free resources, including how you can create that training program at your organization. All of this on my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com. Mark, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on the show. Mark Hirschbrook is the author of The Career Toolkit. Well, that's it for today. If you'd like to know more about Mark and his book, take a look at our show notes. You will find some links there. If you'd like to connect with me, I'm on Twitter at at RelentlessEco. Now, if you did like this conversation about work and the future of work, please take a moment, leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. That really helps people to find us and we can continue these discussions about the future of work. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks as always to Stokely Audio for audio production. To learn more about work and the future and to see show notes, go to the workandthefuturepodcast.com. You can also contact us at comments at theworkandthefuturepodcast.com. The Work and the Future Podcast with Linda Nazareth is a relentless economics production. 